So we're ready? Okay. Um, I told you last week that uh, this feels a little funny because I've been sitting in a chair teaching classes and sitting in a chair doing the sermons. And so I've become more dependent on my notes, which you know is not my style. And so I'm trying to figure out how to get back into the old uh, uh, system, but I don't know whether I'll do that. So we're returning to our series on the events of the end times. Remember that our goal is to avoid two problems. One of those is to uh, um, address Israel as central to what's going on in the end times. And uh, also to not get the gospel wrong. A lot of people think the purpose of the gospel is to spread through the world and make the world better. That is not the gospel. Uh, the gospel is a call to come out of the world and gather with the people of God awaiting the kingdom to come, which will be better, right? So it's important that we avoid both of those when we look at end time things. So we've looked at a lot of the events and by now we're, this is like the 13th uh, sermon on this. So you're probably going, I don't know what, I don't know what we're talking about anymore, Right. Uh, the danger is to get lost in the uh, prophecy weeds. Uh, but we've talked about the things that are pretty clear uh, about the tribulation, about the return of the Lord, the resurrection of the dead, those things. And you have the chart that kind of shows that process. Then we looked at things that were uh, specific to points that we're supposed to look for, the abomination of desolation, the issue of the mark of the beast and those things. Then we moved into things that are much more difficult to know what they really are. The two witnesses, the seven thunders that spoke that uh, John was going to write down and he was told not to do it. Um, and then the issue of Babylon. And so last time we looked at Babylon um, with in mind Paul's statement that we look through a glass darkly. We're not seeing this exactly uh, in full, we're not supposed to at this point. Um, and so we got to be humble about the interpretation of these things. But we began with this notion of the uh, mystery Babylon the Great, talked about her as a city going back to the beginning of Babel. This is man's way of doing things. And then that process into Babylon and the exile of Israel. And then, of course, there, Isaiah and Revelation address Babylon at the end of time. So this is not simply that original Babylon, or Babel, as we call it, or Babylon with Nebuchadnezzar, but it is like that, and these become symbolic of the world system. And I believe of all modern uh, or contemporary uh, cities and governments that are tried to do things to make the world the way they think it should be instead of being in obedience to the Lord. So I want you to turn with me to Revelation chapter 17. We'll look at those verses again. I brought myself some water so that as my voice goes, I can wet my whistle, but I won't whistle. <clears throat> in uh, chapter 17, verse 3, it says, He carried me away to the, in, by the Spirit into a wilderness. And I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast full of blasphemous names, having seven heads and ten horns. Keep that in mind. Seven heads and ten horns. Uh, the woman 
was clothed in purple and scarlet, adorned with gold and precious stones and pearls, having in her hand a gold cup full of abominations and of the unclean things of her immorality. And on her forehead a name was written, Babylon the Great, the mother of harlots and of the abominations of the earth. And I saw the woman drunk with the blood of the saints and with the blood of the witnesses of Jesus. And when I saw her, I wondered. And the angel said to me, Why do you wonder? I will tell you the mystery of the woman and of the beast that carries her, which has the seven heads and ten horns. You see that again. Now we've looked at the beast and we've looked at the beast only in the context of the um, abomination of desolation and the Antichrist in the temple and that framework. We haven't really looked at it in this context. So we'll have to, we'll have to go into that a little bit uh, next week. Uh, and that picks up at verse 8 where he talks about the beast. Uh, but he does say that the, um, the woman, which you saw in verse 18 it says, uh, is the great city which reigns over the kings of the earth. And, and then in the next chapter he talks about Babylon falling. I'll talk about that again uh, next week. So the idea here is that this woman, this Babylon, this way of mankind has two aspects that we need to be aware of. For the world, she's a seductress. For the world, she is a way to accomplish human whatever we think is the great life, independent of God. But to us, she is a temptress to pull away from God's kingdom into the world. And she is also a persecutor of those who bear the testimony of Jesus. And I mentioned all of the cities, including Washington, D.C., because I want to remind you of something that is very easily lost in the American church. So... Uh, we're going to look at uh, Revelation 18.4 in a minute, where, he, where God says, Come out of her, so that you will not participate in her sins and receive her plagues. But I want to talk today about her as a woman. Why is she portrayed as a woman? Now, there are places in God's word where uh, Israel is called God's bride, and places where Israel is called God's son. These family relationships and marital relationships are part of the symbolism God uses to talk about both uh, our close relationship with God and Israel's close relationship with God and also the kind of things that cause rebellion and unfaithfulness. And that's why this is being used. So I want you to understand that this is not some misogynistic uh, gender kind of framework. It is really about those relationships that God is talking about. So I want you to turn with me to some passages to kind of get a flavor for that. So turn to Proverbs chapter 1, and we're going to pick it up at verse 20 through 29. Uh, Proverbs chapter 1, verse 20. Now we're going to go through the first several chapters of Proverbs, not all the verses, just quickly some of them starting with 120. Wisdom shouts in the street. She lifts her voice in the square. At the head of the noisy street, she cries out. 
At the entrance of the gates of the city, she utters her sayings. How long, naive ones, will you love being simple-minded? And scoffers delight themselves in scoffing, and fools hate knowledge. Turn to my reproof. Behold, I pour out my spirit on you. I will make my words known to you, because I called you and you refused. I stretched out my hand, and no one paid attention. And you neglected my counsel, and you did not want my reproof. And I will laugh at your calamity, and I will mock when your dread comes, when your dread comes like a storm, and your calamity like a whirlwind with distress and anguish will come upon you. Then you will call to me, but I will not answer. And you will seek me diligently, but you will not find me, because they hated knowledge, and they did not choose the fear of the Lord. Now, I want you to notice that wisdom here is identified as a woman. That's very common in the Proverbs. Is, uh, wisdom is... Uh, that is the wisdom of God, is identified as a woman who is calling. In this case, she is warning as a mother would warn her children to wake up and get out of there. Don't play in that street. That's a dangerous place. That kind of thing. But the Proverbs also has another woman. And we find her in chapter 2, verse 16. What wisdom will do, what the fear of the Lord will do is... Deliver you from the strange woman, from the adulteress who flatters with her words. She leaves her companion of her youth, that is the husband of her youth, and forgets the covenants of her God. And her house sinks down to death, and her tracks lead to the dead. None who go to her return again, nor do they reach the paths of life. So you will walk in the way of good men to keep the path of righteousness, for the upright will live in the land, and the blameless will remain in it, but the wicked will be cut off from the land, and the treacherous will be uprooted in it. Now, we have another woman. This is that seductress woman who is calling out, but her way is the way of death. We have one the way of life, and one the way of death. This goes back to Deuteronomy. I place before you life and death, and you will choose life. But to hear life, you must seek the wisdom and the fear of the Lord and not the call of the world, which says, you, you know, you can, you can accomplish God's purpose this way, right? There's always an alternative in that framework. Now look at chapter 3 of Proverbs, verse 13. How blessed is the man who finds wisdom and the man who gains understanding for her profit. Notice again, it's as a female, her profit is better than the profit of silver, and her gain better than fine gold. She is more precious than jewels. What's, that? What's the woman in the Revelation dressed in? Fine jewelry, right? And nothing you desire compares with her. Long life is in her right hand, and in her left hand are riches and honor. Her ways are pleasant, and all her paths are peace. She is a tree of life to those who take hold to her, and happy are all those who hold fast." Because the Lord from wisdom uh, created the earth. By understanding, he established the heavens. So again, the knowledge that comes from God, the knowledge that comes from the wisdom of God is different than the wisdom of the world. But the wisdom of God, Paul says in Corinthians, is foolishness to the world. Now I want to look at one more passage in, uh, in uh, Revelation. And then I'll be, uh, I'll be done with that one. I mean in Proverbs. Chapter 5, verses 3 to 6. For the lips of an adulteress drip honey, and smoother than oil is her speech. 
And in the end, she is bitter as wormwood. That wormwood is a symbol for the judgment of God. She has a two-edged sword. Her feet go down to death. Her steps take hold of Sheol. She does not ponder the path of life. Her ways are unstable. She does not know it. So this idea is that in Proverbs, we are confronted with two females. Uh, the one in, that is good is wisdom. And the other one is this seductress of the world that brings you to unfaithfulness uh, to God. So with that in mind, I want to go back now to Revelation 17. Three to six, uh, we have here here this woman who is sitting on the scarlet beast. She's clothed in purple and scarlet, adorned with gold and precious stones, uh, pearls, having in her hand a cup full of abominations. That's anything that is unholy. Idols are abomination. Sexual immorality is an abomination in the Bible. And on her forehead, a name written: Babylon the Great, the mother of harlots and of the abominations. Of the earth, So she is an adulteress, she calls and leads to death, and she's riding on a beast who, like the dragon, has seven heads and ten horns. So she's the one who has left God to seek her own pleasure, that's the way of man that the scripture talks about it. So this is the world. Now it tries without God. To make its own city with its own towers to heaven. And it boasts of its wisdom and its light and its provision. These are the nations of the earth. The scripture will say when she falls that the the kingdoms of of the earth will fall in that context. Um, Now I want you to know that there is a one people, one nation. That God has chosen and he is using for his glory. Remember at Babel, the nations were created. There were no Jews. There was no Israel. There was just mankind scattered across the earth. And then God took Avram, called him Abraham, and created a people who would be a light to the nations. And so the only culture, the only way of life that was directly created by God is the one that he gave to Israel through covenant. It's important. Now, she has not always been faithful to God. But there has always been a remnant of Israel that has been true to God. And while she has been seduced by false gods of the nations, and she has been scattered and punished for her unfaithfulness, yet she is still, according to Paul and the prophets, chosen and beloved for the sake of the fathers. And God will bring her children back, from among the nations and he will wash her and he will cleanse her and he will speak kindly to her. I want you to look at a passage that is uh, really an important one for we Gentiles. It's in Hosea, Hosea chapter 2. I'll give you time to get there because that's probably not a text that you turn to quickly uh, on your own, right? It's in the part of the Bible that still looks new. Hosea chapter 2, verse 13. God says, I will punish her for the days of the Baals. That's when she was unfaithful to God. When she used to offer sacrifices to them to adorn herself with earrings and jewelry. So she's acting just like this one, right? 
uh, and she follows her lovers so, so that she forgot me, her companion of her youth, declares the Lord. Therefore, behold, I will allure her, and I will bring her into the wilderness, and I will speak kindly to her, and I will give to her her vineyards from there, from the valley of Achor as the door of hope. And she will sing there as in the days of her youth, as in the days when she came up out of the land of Egypt. And it will come about that in that day, declares the Lord, you will call me Ishi, husband. You will no longer call me Bali. Okay? She will be faithful to her husband, the Lord. I will remove the names of the Baals from her mouth so that they will be mentioned by their names no more. And in that day I will make a covenant for them with the beasts of the field and the birds of the sky and the creeping things of the ground. I will abolish the bow, the sword, and war from the land, and I will make them to lie down in safety. I will betroth you to me forever. Yes, I will betroth you to me in righteousness and in justice, in loving kindness and in compassion. I will betroth you to me in faithfulness, and you will know that I am the Lord. And it will come about in that day that I will respond, declares the Lord. I'll respond to the heavens, and they will respond to the earth. And the earth will, will respond to the grain and the new wine and the oil, and they will spread to Jezreel. And I will sow her for myself in the land, and I will also have compassion on her who had not obtained compassion. And I will say to those who were not my people, you are my people, and they will say, you are my God. Now that whole first part is Israel. God is not done. He's going to bring her back. He's going to heal her. He's going to bring her back into relationship with him in fullness, bringing all the promises he made to Abraham. But there is a people that were not his people, that are now his people. Now that one we're familiar with, because this is the text that the apostles use to justify bringing the Gentiles in, in Acts 15. They didn't use the Great Commission, they used Hosea. The not my people will be my people. And then, Paul gives us more information about that in Ephesians chapter 2. In Ephesians chapter 1, Paul says, We Jews were the first to believe in the Messiah. Then he's going to talk about the Gentiles in chapter 2. And you, Gentiles, were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, and a prince of the power of the air, that's that dragon, and the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. Among them we too, we Jews, formerly lived in the lusts of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as the others. But God, being rich in mercy, because of his great love wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ, together, that's Jew and Gentile, together with Christ, by grace you have been saved, and raised us up with him and sealed us with him in the heavenly places, so that in the ages to come he might show his surpassing riches of his grace in kindness towards us. And then the verse that we all know, for by grace you have been saved through faith and not of yourselves is the gift of God. Now, I want you to look at verse 11. Therefore, remember that formerly you Gentiles in the flesh 
who are called uncircumcised by the so-called circumcision, which is performed in the flesh by human hands. Remember that you at that time were separate from Messiah. You were excluded from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. You can't get more lost than that. That was our original condition. But now in Christ Jesus, you who formerly were afar off have been made near by the blood of Christ. And he himself is our peace, having made both groups, Jews and Gentiles, into one and broken down the barrier of the dividing wall by by abolishing in his flesh the enmity that resulted from the law of commandments in ordinances so that he might make the two into one new humanity, establishing peace, and might reconcile us all into one body through the cross, having put to death the enmity, not the Torah, the enmity. Now he goes on and says that we are now being built together. We are no longer strangers and aliens, fellow citizens with the saints and of God's household, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. And we are brought together with Israel to become a temple of the Lord, uh, a dwelling place for God's spirit. Now that's pretty good stuff. The Messiah has brought us near to God alongside Israel. Together, Israel and us are the household and the dwelling place of God's spirit. Now it's really hard to see that. And it's hard to see that because in Israel, there is an anti-Yeshua bias. And in the church, there's a replacement anti-Semitism kind of theology that, that says God's done with them. They had their chance. Neither of those is correct. And in some sense, God is going to have to woo Israel back to himself. But he said he's going to do it. And we have to be uh, willing to understand that. Or we're going to find ourselves acting a little bit like the older brother in the uh, story of the, the, the prodigal son. Right? Uh, that's, you know, at that time, the older brother may have been Israel. Now we're acting like the older brother in that sense. That's why we're not to boast against the natural branches. Now what I want you to do is look at a passage uh, in 1 Peter. 1 Peter chapter 5. Now let me say um, one thing about this. Um, You need to be aware that as we try to reckon ourselves dead to sin and alive to Christ, we also have to reckon ourselves no longer in the world, but now part of the kingdom along with Israel. Uh, But we need to know that as we create friendship with God and with Israel... We will create enmity with the world and the dragon. And that dragon will come after us. First Peter chapter 5, verse 8. Be of sober spirit. Be on the alert. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. But resist him firm in your faith, knowing that the same experience of sufferings are being accomplished by your brethren who are in the world. We talked about this last week. The the suffering is normative in this framework. 
After you have suffered for a little while, the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself perfect, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be dominion forever. Now, I'm going to talk about this next week, this coming out from her that's mentioned in Revelation. But I want you to understand that we're not supposed to be waiting for that. So we're going to end with 2 Corinthians chapter 6. And we'll pick it up at verse 14. Do not be bound together with unbelievers. For what partnership have righteousness with Torahlessness or lawlessness? And what fellowship has light with darkness? What harmony has Christ with Belial? And what has a believer in common with an unbeliever? In this country, much in every way. But it's not supposed to be. What agreement has the temple of God with idols? For we are the temple of the living God. Just as God said, I will dwell in them and I will walk among them. I will be their God and they will be my people. Therefore, come out from their midst and be separate, says the Lord. And do not touch what is unclean. And I will welcome you and I will be a father to you. And you will be sons and daughters to me, says the Lord Almighty. Now, Paul's not writing primarily to Jews. He's writing to these early believers uh, who are Gentiles, who are coming out of their world into the kingdom. The book of Revelation will echo this instruction, but the apostle to the Corinthians, who's talking to a group who are seriously compromised uh, in their walk, if you've read Revel- uh, Corinthians, you know that. But I often refer to us in California as the new Corinthians. We're, we're, we're pretty much following their path. Uh, we are called not to isolation. Okay? This is not a get out of town and hide somewhere. I wish it was. Let's just buy a little place somewhere. That would turn us into a cult. We're not supposed to be a cult. Okay? But we are to be walking in holiness, walking in righteousness, and walking in unity among them. That's how we come out of her. When she calls to allure us, we ignore her because we know whom we have believed. And we are persuaded that he's able to keep us and what we've committed to him against that day. But we're not thinking that way. A lot of people are thinking, I'm waiting till the signs of the end time show up. And then I'll clean up my act. That is what the reading this week is in the church about the foolish virgins. Who, who are not prepared when the bridegroom comes, right? Uh, and so it's really important that we keep this in mind. Um, we are to come out now, not then. And so part of this walk that you and I have, and part of the reason the Disciple Center is focused on your homes, and focused on your parenting, and focused on uh, what our connection with Israel, is that we must begin to have our minds transformed, not to the world, not conformed to the world, but transformed in a way that we see this the way God sees it, and that we are functioning that way. Now, I'm getting old, I may not see all of this stuff. But my grandchildren may see it, 
My great-grandchildren may see it. Your children or your grandchildren may see it. If we don't pass this on to them, who's going to pass it on to them? It's not being talked about in most of the churches. What they're being told is, you can just kind of live your life and do, you do your thing. Because you've said the magic words. And when that trumpet sounds, which is going to happen before any of this bad stuff happens, then you'll just poof. Well, that isn't true, and we know that. And I've left out a section that I need to read to you, so I don't know where that happened. Uh, There's always something. I'd like you to look at Revelation 12. Maybe it's good that it will be at this point. I thought this was shorter than it was supposed to be. I've only talked about that adulteress. I've got to talk about the other woman. So, in Revelation 12, somebody got a a thing on? Yeah. I had the same problem this morning. (laughs) Okay, another woman. The woman I've been talking about, Israel. A great sign appeared in heaven. A woman clothed with the sun and the moon under her feet, and on her head a crown of twelve stars. She was with child, and she cried out, being in labor and in pain to give birth. And another sign appeared in heaven, a red red dragon having seven heads and ten horns on his head were seven diadems. Again, that beast and Satan are connected, and the woman, right? And And his tail swept away a third of the stars of heaven and threw them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman who was about to give birth so that she might... Uh, devour her child. We know how that happened. That's Herod, right? Killing all the the children. Um, She gave birth to a son who was to rule the nations with a rod of iron, and her child was caught up to God and to his throne. That's the ascension of Jesus. Then the woman fled into the wilderness where she has a place prepared by God so that she would be nourished for 1,260 days. I believe that during that time of the Great tribulation, God will be wooing Israel back to him. This is him taking her into the wilderness. He will speak to her and he will reaffirm his covenant. He will betroth himself to her. And then what's going to happen? There's a war in heaven. The angels waging war with the dragon and the dragon and the angels rage war. And they were not strong enough and there was no longer a place found for them in heaven. So the great dragon was thrown down, that serpent of old, who is called the devil and Satan, who deceives the whole world. He was thrown down to the earth, and his angels were thrown down with him. And then he heard a voice, Now salvation and power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come. So this is going to happen. I want you to notice something. The woman, pick it up at verse 12. Well, I better do 11. They overcame him because of the blood of the Lamb, because of the word of their testimony. They did not love their life, even when faced with death. For this reason rejoice, heaven, and you who dwell in them. Woe to the earth and the sea, because the devil has come down to you, having great wrath, knowing he has only a short time. And when the dragon saw that he was thrown down to the earth, he persecuted the woman who gave birth to the child. But two wings of a great eagle were given to the woman so she could fly into the wilderness to her place where she is nourished for a time and times and half a time from the presence of the serpent. I believe Israel will be largely protected as she is brought together. I know that a lot of people think they're going to catch it. That's not what this says. 
Okay? And the serpent poured water like a river out of his mouth after the woman so that he might cause her to be swept away with the flood. But the earth helped the woman and the earth opened its mouth and drank up the river which the dragon poured out of his mouth. So the dragon was enraged with the woman, Israel. But he can't get to her. So he went off to make war with the rest of her children who keep the commandments of God and hold to the testimony of Jesus. And you know that John saw a multitude which no one could number from every nation, kindred, tribe, and tongue standing before the throne. And he said, who are these? These have come out of the great tribulation. How do they come out? By sword. They are killed. But they are not damaged because if we lose our life for Christ, we will gain our life. If we try to save our life and compromise with the world, we will lose it. So there is much here for us to think about uh, as we go through it. Remember that we have the future, but we also, John tells us, even now there are many antichrists. Even now there are many Babylons, if you will. And we have to make sure that we are walking with the Lord in his fear and we are listening to wisdom called to us and we are keeping her in our hearts and in our minds. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word and we ask uh, 